Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Getting a vaccine. Anheuser-Busch announced that beer is on them on July the 4th. That's right. Get a shot and have a beer. Dr. Fauci. That the Chinese deliberately engineered something so that they could kill themselves. I think that's a bit far out. I don't think he seems to be aware of the way it works in a communist government. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. I'm going to go out on a limb here and declare that the eastern North Carolina drought is over. <laughs> now we've got to worry about flooding, I think. Wow, it's coming down as we speak. And uh, the regionals are supposed to get underway tomorrow. The weather forecast calling for more rain tomorrow possibly uh, three-quarters of an inch tomorrow. So uh, will the regionals, maybe they'll get started tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, the chance of rain drops down to 30%, so maybe we'll get a couple games in tomorrow night and try to push everything. Does everything have to be completed by Sunday night so that we can get on with the Super Regionals? It'll be interesting to see what happens. The News and Observer asked the question, how long will North Carolina students wear masks in school? They're still wearing them. Now, tomorrow, here in the eastern part of the state, at least in Pitt County, uh, half day of school tomorrow, then they're done. Cooper's Executive Order 215 expires June 11th, which also is the traditional calendar year, end of year school for Wake County. And again, we're going to be done here in the eastern part of the state tomorrow. The executive order includes a mask mandate for all school buildings. More than half the state is vaccinated. 53.4% of adults are fully vaccinated as of June the 2nd. Uh, However, most children are not because they're not supposed to be. But uh, Mandy Cohen says, well, unless something changes with the CDC, we're going to continue to have children wear masks in school over the summer. So if you're going to summer school, get a mask. Yet this week... We've gotten all these emails from Fauci talking about the fact that he even acknowledges that these masks that the kids are wearing, that you buy in the drugstore, that they hand you when you walk into the entrance of a store, these paper masks are worthless. And they certainly don't need to be worn if you're healthy. The idea is if you're sick, maybe it would stop the spread, but not likely. Donald Trump has uh, pointed to the trove of emails belonging to Anthony Fauci to demand the, quote, scientists answer questions, including what he knew about gain of function at that Chinese lab. He insisted that the Chinese pay $10 trillion to the United States for possible virus leaks. There are a lot of questions, he said, that must be answered by Dr. Fauci. The funding of the Wuhan by the U.S. was foolishly started by the Obama administration, ended under the Trump administration, he said. When I heard about it, I said, no way. What did Fauci know about gain-of-function research, and when did he know? Trump said in a statement that was sent out via email today. In a second email, moments later, he said, now everyone, even the so-called enemy, quote, enemy, are beginning to say that Trump was right about the China virus coming from the Wuhan lab, lab. The correspondence between Fauci and China speaks too loudly for anyone to ignore. China should pay $10 trillion to America and to the world for the death and destruction they have caused. 
He also said he was glad he didn't take the advice, uh, advice of Fauci, who was a member of his administration's coronavirus task force. After seeing the emails, our country is fortunate. I didn't do what Fauci wanted me to do. For instance, I closed our borders to China, despite him not wanting to. I was later given credit, even by Tony. In retrospect, the vaccine is saving the world. Then I placed the greatest bet in history. We ordered billions of dollars worth of vaccines before we knew it even worked. Had it not been done, our wonderful vaccines would not have been administered until October of this year, and no one would have uh, had the shot and has now saved the world millions of lives, Trump said. The former president also ripped Fauci for his back-and-forth recommendations on wearing masks. Uh, It is going to really be interesting to hear Donald Trump on Saturday night here in Greenville at the North Carolina State Convention. I think Fauci will definitely be a part of that speech. Uh, By the way, House Republicans are now saying it is imperative for Fauci to testify before congressional committees. House Republican Whip Steve Scalise, who serves as the top Republican on the House Select uh, Subcommittee of the Coronavirus Crisis, and House Oversight Committee Ranking Member James Comer penned a letter to top Democrats Clyburn and Maloney of New York saying it is imperative that Fauci appear before the committees. I promise you they will not do anything about it. They'll sit on it. They will somehow try to blame Donald Trump, and Republicans are trying to cause trouble. Again, this if there was anything that was ever bipartisan, you'd think it would be this. you think we would—but look— uh, it, you know, it, it makes you wonder who is paying their their bills, who is paying their campaign bill. I mean, um, I mean, we have we have Chinese spies sleeping with Democrats. So, uh, should it come any surprise that uh, they're not going to call for further investigation? I mean, the the Biden administration. They've you know we had the investigation going on into uh, the Wuhan labs, and Biden shut that down. So, I mean, I admire Scalise and Comer. They did the right thing. They ought to make a big, a, a lot of noise about this. The mainstream media won't do anything about it, and Democrats won't do anything about it. The other thing that's going to be interesting to um, hear on Saturday night when Donald Trump speaks is there are stories out today one written by Charles Cook of the National Review, following up on an article that Maggie Haberman wrote from the New York Times, Maggie Haberman. And uh, there's also an article by Jonathan Turley. Uh, All these articles are focusing on the fact that Donald Trump has been telling a number of people he's in contact with, and Sidney Powell, the former attorney for President Trump, she's back in the news. You know, she, she was a great attorney for Michael Flynn, but uh, this whole election thing, not so much. I mean, did we ever find out why the Trump administration distanced themselves from Sidney Powell? But anyway, Sidney Powell and apparently Donald Trump are going around saying that Donald Trump is going to be reinstated. Sidney Powell, former attorney for President Trump, is back in the news with the prediction that Donald Trump could be reinstated as president. 
Jonathan Turley says, It's a mystery to me how Powell believes Trump could be reinstated, but the Constitution is clear Joe Biden is our president and will remain so until his death, incapacity, or removal through impeachment. And the <laughs> the third might be here quicker than we think. Or Well, I don't know. Two out of three. <laughs> Actually, the, isn't he three for three? Impeachment, incapacity, or his death. <laughs> I'm sorry to sound so morbid, but he might be three for three on those. Um, but there, And this other story out of the National Review, Maggie Haberman of the New York Times had been telling a number of people that Donald Trump would be reinstated, that Trump is saying this to people, that he'll be reinstated by August. Um, Charles Cook of the National Review says, yes, he is saying that. He, he is confirming that a number of politicians and journalists and anybody who will listen, they are being told that David Perdue will be reinstated, Martha McSally of Arizona will be reinstated, and Donald Trump will be reinstated. Sidney Powell comes out and says, now, the Constitution does make it clear that inauguration is January the 20th, and so we can't change that. So the time he has lost, he probably won't be able to make up, but he will be reinstated. Now, Jonathan Turley, who's a constitutional attorney, uh, you, you know, he's highly, highly questioning, questioning this, as I think everybody is. But, um, it, it, Don, but, you know, the other side of the coin is how many times has Donald Trump come out and said something and it turns out he's right? Anyway, I bring all this up because will he bring this up Saturday night when he's speaking at the North Carolina convention, the Republican Party convention for the state? Uh, you know, just how far out there is this Trump theory that says Jar uh, Charles Cook? Consider that even if it were true that the 2020 election had been stolen, which he says it was not, his belief would still be absurd. It could be confirmed tomorrow that agents working for a combination of Al-Qaeda, Venezuela, and George Soros had hacked into every single voting machine in the country and altered the totals by tens of millions, and it would remain the case that there's no mechanism within the American legal order for a do-over of any sort. In such an eventuality, there would be indictments, an impeachment drive, and a constitutional crisis. But however bad it got, Donald Trump would not be reinstated to the presidency. That's not how America works. Um, and I, I tend to agree. I mean, while it would be great if that was true, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't see how that is going to happen. And don't email me and say, well, am I against Donald Trump? I'd love for him to be reinstated. I just don't see how it's going to happen. Do I think that the previous election was fraudulent and Biden is an illegitimate president? Yes, I do. Call me a conspiracy nut if you want. But I'm not alone. A Yahoo News YouGov poll last week found that 64% of Republicans believe that the 2020 election was rigged and stolen from Trump. And again, while that might be true, the idea that Donald Trump is going to be reinstated, it's, eh, it's, yeah, I think it's a long shot. By the way, speaking of Jonathan Turley, it is really interesting. Jonathan Turley notes, you know, right now uh, the, the Democrats are all about poor, um, uh, court packing. They want to expand the Supreme Court to 13 members. 
Jonathan Turley thinks the United States Supreme Court is sending a message to Democrats about their not-so-secret plans to pack the court. And, you know, perhaps his, his theory has merit. Turley believes that four recent unanimous decisions by the court are a message to the Democratic majority that the Supreme Court is not so rigidly ideological as Democratic members and activists suggest. In fact, there was a, a, a case that came out today, and it was a 6-3 decision. It wasn't a, it wasn't a unanimous decision. I think it was the Van Buren case. It, was, I mean, it, was, it wasn't a big deal case, but the, um, the, it, it dealt with a police officer who ran some license plates for a friend through the police computer, which he had, access, he had legal access to. And uh, anyway, they, uh, apparently some wanted to charge this police officer with a federal crime for misusing a computer. The Supreme Court came out in this 6-3 decision where Kavanaugh, uh, Gorsuch, and uh, uh, Amy Coney Barrett sided with the liberals of the court saying that the police officer wasn't guilty. Now, that, that case doesn't have anything to do with what Jonathan Turley is saying here in terms of the merits of the case, except for the fact that a liberal justice asked a very conservative justice to write the opinion piece on this, which that's how it, this, uh, this opinion piece was released earlier today. But there are several other cases that have come out recently that surprised people that were unanimous cases. And Turley is speculating here that perhaps what the Supreme Court is trying to say to the uh, Democratic Party is we are not as divided as you think we are. Now, granted, I, I don't think they changed their votes. I think what happened is the cases they have released, they're releasing all these unanimous cases in one large pile of, of cases as they release them. To, to send a message to the Democrats, you know what, don't mess with court packing. We're, we're not as divided as you're making us out to be. The, um, so there were two unanimous opinions um, making a total of six nine-zip rulings in just two weeks. We'll see if uh, that sends a message. And ultimately, will it come back to the Supreme Court? I mean, the size of the Supreme Court has changed in the past. Uh, FDR tried to pack the Supreme Court in his administration to get what he wanted, and uh, he was uh, knocked down not by not by the Supreme Court but by Congress. Five six one eight two five five. We are going to play political trivia in just a little bit. We're going to take a break first, and uh, we'll get to your phone calls. Five six one eight two five five. Stay with us. More news and views coming up. This is your Drive at 5 and ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome back in. And it is a political trivia edition of News and Views. Your category, the White House. We'll plan a little bit. Taking a look at your weather forecast, wet. Showers and possible thunderstorms tonight, low around 71. Chance of precips, 80%. Tomorrow, more of the same. Again, 80%. Tomorrow night, it drops down to 30%. Good news is Saturday and Sunday, mostly sunny with a high in the mid-80s. So at least they got the weekend right. Weather brought to you by our friends at the Ironwood Golf and Country Club. Voted best golf course in Greenville two years in a row. Ironwood Golf and Country Club boasts an 18-hole Lee Trevino design course, 
full-service dining and outdoor pool, tennis, and more. Our newly renovated 15,000-square-foot clubhouse is the perfect place to make new traditions with your family. For a limited time, join Ironwood, pay zero initiation fees. Call 252-752-4653. Find out what makes Ironwood the best of Greenville. 252-752-4653. Be a part of the best Ironwood Golf and Country Club. 561-8255. Our friend Sutton has been waiting patiently. Hey, Sutton, how are you, sir? Oh, Sutton, we lost you. All right, give us a call back. Um, Governor Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, um, is making, this is unbelievable, Cuomo is making taxpayers foot $2.5 million in legal defense for him. Taxpayers of New York are going to shell out more than $900 an hour for Andrew Cuomo's lead defense lawyer, to help him try to fend off charges that he used staffers to help write a book detailing his handling of the pandemic and claims that he and his aides hid from the public the true death toll amongst patients of nursing homes. The $2.5 million deal revealed a contract made public through the Freedom of Information request by the New York Post. It, um, now this is interesting. Cuomo made $5.1 million on the book already. He's got $17 million in his campaign war chest and, and another $5.1 million from the book deal. And yet the taxpayers are going to pay $2.5 million for his legal defense because he's being sued because the accusations are he used staff to write this book yep (laughs) five six one eight two five five we got bruce on the line hey bruce hey hey tom how are you sir i'm doing great waiting for the rain to stop (laughs) well hasn't started here in amelisle so oh well don't yeah get your umbrella ready okay (laughs) we're ready we need it what's on your mind well, I called to play uh, trivia. trivia. <laughs> yeah, Bruce, you're ten minutes too early. <laughs> oh, well, I called. I well, I, okay. Well, what's on my mind is uh, well, I just can't believe 81 million people voted for this doofus. But uh, what can I say in his policies? But here we are. An editorial comment by Bruce of Emerald Isle. <laughs> <laughs> I got news for you, something. Bruce. Yeah, I got news well, for you. Uh, you can't believe 81 million people voted for him. I, I I can believe that you were correct, and I don't think 81 million people did vote for him. Well, but we'll see what happens. Well, I don't know. Anyway, sadly, anyway, give us are... a call back in about 10 minutes. We'll play political trivia. That, or you can remain on hold for 10 minutes. Five six one eight two five five. You know, I I had a story that I wanted to get to yesterday, and I didn't. This is cut one, uh, Clark. We didn't get to the story yesterday, but I got to play this. So Tuesday, Joe Biden is in Tulsa. And Joe Biden is a bigger race baiter than Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, and we Willie Barber all put together. In fact, the formerly big Al Sharpton might get upset with Uncle Joe for infringing on his territory of being the biggest race baiter in our country. On Tuesday... While commemorating the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre, 
Joe Biden managed to say something so ridiculously racist that it's hard not to cringe. Cut one. Imagine instead of denying millions of entrepreneurs the ability to access capital and, and, and contracting, we made it possible to take their dreams to the marketplace to create jobs and invest in our communities. That, the data shows young black entrepreneurs are just as capable of succeeding given the chance as white entrepreneurs are. But they don't have lawyers, they don't have, they, they, they don't have accountants, but they have great ideas. The, the, the guy is... What are we talking about? Yeah, you are a walking encyclopedia of racist comments. To work at a 7-Eleven, you've got to have a slight Indian accent. They're going to lock you up in chains. Black kids are just as smart as poor... Or what do you say? I, I can't remember. He's, he's made so many goofy comments. But he says, the data shows that young entrepreneurs are just as capable of succeeding, given the chance, as white entrepreneurs, but they don't have lawyers. They don't have accountants. That's right. There's no black accountants out there. There's no black lawyers. And uh, and look, there's plenty of white accountants and white lawyers that'd be happy to work for black entrepreneurs. But they got great ideas, he says. Well, yeah, I mean, look, maybe a new, uh, oftentimes a new business that is successful starts with a great idea. But it's more than just an idea. You got to get up and you got to go to it. You got to do a lot of hard work. You got to roll up your shirt sleeves and you got to make zero dollars for a lot of months and sometimes years before you're successful. But the idea that Joe Biden comes out and what a racist comment. Black people don't have, look, they don't have the wherewithal to get a lawyer or an accountant. And it's the same garbage that the Democrats are always peddling. But, you know, oh, to, to have voter integrity is a racist idea because you cannot possibly expect a black person to have a photo ID. What a racist comment. Uh, as you can imagine, social media jumped all over Joe Biden. And by the way, uh, you might want to go and Google Biden's Tulsa speech. It's about 45 minutes long. I have never heard as much race baiting and bashing of America for being such a racist nation, it's nonstop. It is nonstop. It, it, there, there's nothing affirming. There's nothing positive about that. The whole thing is beating the living daylights out of America that were nothing but a bunch of racists. And again, you know, Joe Biden, look in the mirror. Uh, some some comments. Dave Rubin wrote, according to Joe Biden, black people don't know how to get an ID, hire a lawyer, find an accountant. And if they don't vote for him, they ain't black. Yeah, but Republicans are the real racist, right? Laverne Spicer, Republican candidate for Congress in Florida, who's black. I'm black and I know exactly where to get lawyers and accountants. You racist. Jesse Jane Duff of... Uh, wrote on uh, Facebook, or on Twitter, I should say, this guy says the most racist and ignorant comments without any hesitation. Biden actually thinks black people are incapable of hiring or becoming accountants and lawyers. <laughs> oh, Joe, crazy Joe, cousin Eddie. Give it a break. 
We talked uh, a little bit yesterday about um, critical race theory, how it's invading our schools. Ray Northstein wrote an op-ed in the Carolina Journal today. Really good piece. He writes, one of the great legacies of North Carolina history and our nation was the explosion of the American Civil Rights Campaign. As a leader in that movement, Martin Luther King Jr. continually appealed to our strengths as a nation. The American founding, the rule of law, the Christian tradition, ultimately his words often meant for white audiences, but yet they united much of the nation under the banner of equality. Unfortunately, neglecting the teaching of American history and a more secularized culture is giving rise to critical race theory, a belief that everything can be explained by racism while portraying whites as inherently oppressive. Here in North Carolina, much of the flight, the fight rather, is visible in the battle over public schools. A city journal piece from March unveiled the radicalism and race obsession in Wake County Public Schools, the largest district in the state. The worst part is that some teachers and administrators see hiding critical race theory content from parents as a necessary tactic to accomplish their own perceived greater good. On their preferred agenda on race, one which elevates individuals by race as either victims or oppressors, not even parents should be allowed to thwart the indoctrination of their children. This is a critical point. Not only does it suggest that the Marxist tenet that the state is higher than the individual or family, but it's a reminder that critical race theory is still failing in the marketplace of ideas. While the ideology has received some power from woke corporations, critical race theorists are still largely regulated to captive audiences in universities, government schools, or other programs via state or federal funding. In contrast to secretive tactics, the bureaucratic maneuvering, the fight for equality, particularly in the American South during the Civil Rights Movement, made its case in the marketplace of ideas. The Greensboro sit-ins, the Birmingham Civil Rights Campaign, and the March on Washington all took their ideas into the public square. Equality is the correct view because it reflects the fact that we are all created in the image of God, as well as America's founding principles and documents. King and his associates borrowed heavily from those documents because they have authority, and the nation was familiar with the ideas that were put forward. We as Americans are the champion of human rights. It's a revelation from God to our founding fathers, declared American civil rights icon, Reverend Andrew Young. More conservative-minded lawmakers in North Carolina have responded to attempts to indoctrinate students with House Bill 324. If one reads the actual legislation, it's difficult to find the logic in opposing it. Yet some lawmakers, editorial boards, and many ideologues are gnashing their teeth over the bill that Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson summed up the legislation accurately when he said, this legislation ensures that our students will be taught that we all have value regardless of who we are or who our ancestors were. Many are attracted to critical race theory and other woke agendas because they demand an end to injustice and unfairness in society. They often have good intentions, yet are blind to the real agenda and destructiveness it will leave in its wake. Human nature is not predictable on this side of heaven. There are plenty of examples of destruction, especially in the 20th century, in the belief that humankind can be perfected. America's founding and the American Civil Rights Movement remind us that it, we can't advance beyond the principle of the equality of the human person. 
The quest to divide people by class, race, or socioeconomic status is toxic throughout the history of the world. Ultimately, critical race theory will fail because it offers division over hope. Still, we should have the courage to speak the truth to lessen the consequences of those who wish to destroy our great inheritance. Well said. I wanted to play this for you yesterday. This is a mom. This is cut two, Clark. This is a mom out in a Colorado school board meeting from earlier this week. This might be the best two-and-a-half-minute summation of CRT you will ever hear. Cut two. We've heard a lot about how the education, the equity educational policy is not equivalent to critical race theory. However, I've heard many things that are very disturbing that show it to be quite the opposite. First of all, the term equity, it sounds great, but it's exactly opposite of equal opportunity. Equity demands an equal outcome. That only happens when you gerrymander things to favor one group or another. It's not the same as equal opportunity. The second thing that concerns me is when I heard the definition of equity that has been shared here and through many communications from the district. It talks about groups of individuals. When you talk about groups, it is collectivism, it is separating children into groups. That is exactly what it is doing. And groups based on what? What we've heard from both hiring the Gemini group, which is also another thing that concerns me, is the groups are broken down into race, gender identity, sexual preference, and oppression. When we look at the Gemini group teaching, which I took time to watch the entire thing, it is even more disturbing. And this group was hired by this board because in that training, it talks about oppressors and oppressed. That is damaging to every group of children. First of all, some groups of children are thought of as being shamed for who they are. The others are taught that they are victims without the ability to further themselves and to look at the others as the enemies. We all know the, the Dr. King quote that has been shared, color of our skin versus the content of our character. He had a dream. This is a nightmare. It is a nightmare for our children and it needs to end now. The training also, by the way, divides basically educators and parents because in the training, it refers to parents as dissenters. We are not dissenters. We are the parents. It goes on to say and train educators to tell dissenters that this is simply the way we are going to educate your children. They are our children. We are the ones that have the moral authority over their education. We will not be marginalized. The board's job is to represent the stakeholders. When I looked at that screen up there, the stakeholders that were consulted before this policy was implemented does not list parents. Neither does the advisory committee. We are the stakeholders and we need to be included in this. Let me end by this. The job of the board is education. Right now, according to state proficiency tests, only 59% of Douglas County students are proficient in reading. Only 48% are proficient in math. That is the job of the school. The teaching of morality, teaching students to be kind, we can teach them to be kind. The rest of it belongs to the parents, not to social engineering in the schools. That's Deborah Flora, and she is the uh, head of the Parents United for America. <laughs> She's right. Yeah, the kids can't read, the kids can't write. Half the kids in the schools out there can't read or write or do mathematics. And yet we're worried about making sure critical race theory is shoved down their throat. And if this is so good, why are we hiding it from the parents? Why should, why should it be hid? If, if, it's, if it's a great thing, promote it. 
Shout it from the rooftops. But they're lying. They're lying up in Loudoun County saying, oh, we're not teaching it. Yeah, you are. By the way, uh, on another note, this just in from uh, the Daily Wire, CNN. There's a, there's a network that would like to push critical race theory for you. The ratings are in, and they've got some bad news for CNN. The legacy med, uh, media network nearly lost um, one out of its four viewers last month. Daytime viewership fell by 22% in May compared to April. 28% of view, viewers ages 25 to 54 uh, in prime time. So um, CNN crashing and burning. Hey, let's play political trivia. Bruce, if you're listening out there, call us back, 561-8255. Got a, a great prize package. Your category, the White House, okay? 561-8255. Interesting question. It's going to be fun. Stay with us. Political trivia when we get back. All right, welcome back in. It is time for Political Trivia, 561-8255. Still have a couple lines open. If you want to play, the category, the White House. Prize package includes a free oil change for your car or pickup at Dave Davis's East Carolina Chrysler Dodge Jeep or at Washington Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. A gift certificate from Fit for Life 24, including two free training sessions with a coach. A $20 gift card to the Pirates Cove Car Wash, proud partner of the ECU Courtesy Car Program. A $60 diagnostic card from University PC Care for any iPhone or PC repair. A gift card for a free round of golf with cart at Ironwood. A $20 gift card to Mucho Bueno. For lunch or dinner, Mucho Bueno, real Mexican street food located in front of the Westbrook Shopping Center, U.S. 70 West in Havelock. And a $20 gift card to Gwendy's Goodies Bakery in Aden. Delicious bake from scratch, made from scratch goodies. Remember, if you or anyone in your family has won recently, let 60 days pass before you play again. First up, we got him back, Bruce from Emerald Isle. Hey, Bruce, welcome back. Yeah, thank you. Sorry I jumped the gun. Yeah, it's all right. We like an enthusiastic participant. (laughs) All right, here you go. You ready to play? I'm ready. Your category, the White House. Here's your question. On nearly a daily basis, Jen Psaki meets with the press to answer questions and give updates. They meet in the White House press briefing room. Prior to using this part of the White House... As a press briefing room, what was it previously used for? Well, I'm going to take a wild guess because I know there was one there. I don't know if it's still there, but I'll say bowling alley. Uh, That is a good guess. That is not it, though. Good guess. Not it. Thanks. All right. 561-8255. Let's go to Greenville, and Charles is on the line. Hey, Charles. Charles. Hey. Did you hear the question? Yeah. Okay. What do you think? Prior to the press briefing room, what was that room previously used for? Uh, no idea. I'll say uh, war room. War room is not it. Five six one eight two five five. Five six one eight two five five. The uh, White House is your category. On nearly a daily basis, Jen Psaki meets with the press to answer questions and give updates. They meet in the White House press briefing room. Prior to using this part of the White House as a press briefing room, what was it previously used for? Five six one eight two five five. 
the producers are answering the calls as we uh, get them. Too early for a uh, hint yet. But uh, I think you're going to find this answer rather interesting. 561-8255. Who we got, Clark? Let's go to Alan. Hey, Alan. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. What do you think? Uh, it is a swimming pool. You're right. <laughs> Congratulations. Say it again. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, shaped up a piece. Yeah. In 1933, FDR had an indoor swimming pool built in the White House, and under Richard Nixon's presidency, the pool was filled in, and the room became the press briefing room. Where are you calling from? I'm in Greenville right now. All right, Alan, hang on the line. Congratulations. We've got a bevy of prizes for you. Uh, Clark's going to get all your information, and we'll get that out to you. And uh, thanks for the calls. Alan took away yes, your thank thunder. You. Thanks, Alan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. News and views. He's kind of a diva. He's absolutely fascinating. Ultimate gentleman spy. Irresistible to women, deadly to his enemies, a legend in his own time. You won't believe what he's going to say next on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Here's Tom Lemprecht. Congratulations to Alan Watkins of uh, Stansburg, North Carolina. He got our political trivia correct. The White House press briefing room used to be a swimming pool. In 1933, FDR had it built. Of course, you know, he had some, some issues with his paralysis, and uh, he had a swimming pool built. Nixon had the pool covered with a new floor, and the room was converted to the new press briefing room in 1970. Prior to the press briefing room, media would often crowd into the Oval Office or pack hallways to ask the president questions. The press briefing room has been renovated multiple times, once during the Reagan administration, again in 2007 during the Bush administration, it was officially renamed the James S. Brady Press Briefing Room on February 11, 2000 to honor the former press secretary who was shot and paralyzed during an assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan. So uh, there you go. When you see uh, Jen Psaki, that used to be where FDR was swimming. Apparently uh, John Kennedy, JFK, and his family used that pool quite a bit. His uh, John, John Kennedy's father painted, had a professional painter come in and paint this mural on the wall next to the pool. I don't, the, remind him of, I guess, the family compound. I don't know. Uh, famed criminal attorney F. Lee Bailey, who represented O.J. Simpson, has passed away at age 87. The high-profile criminal attorney F. Lee Bailey, who famously represented O.J. Simpson in his 1995 trial, has died, the former NFL star announced on Twitter on Thursday. That is hard to believe that that has been 26 years ago. Wow, time flies. Breitbart is reporting in February the Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban ordered stadium staff not to play the national anthem. Now, the NBA came out shortly after that and said, yeah, no, we're going to play the national anthem at all of our ball games," And, of course, they started playing it again there in Dallas. But uh, just to make sure, Dallas Republicans have passed a new law requiring him to play it. The bill known officially as Senate Bill 4, or better known as the Star-Spangled Banner Protection Act, was made a legislative priority of Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick after Cuban canceled the anthem for 13 Maverick preseason and regular season home games earlier this year. Sell the franchise and some Texas Patriots will buy it, 
We are the land of the free and the home of the brave. Patrick wrote on the Twitter at the time. Cuba, Cuban made headlines in February by becoming the first pro sports team to order the anthem canceled. Again, the NBA overruled Cuban. However, just in case the uh, Republicans and the legislature there have passed the bill, Governor Abbott is expected to sign it. BJ Media is reporting Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has recently posted photographs of her mother's living conditions in Puerto Rico, blaming Donald Trump for the situation. She says, just over a week ago, my grandmother fell ill. I went to Puerto Rico to see her my first time in a year because of COVID. Wait a minute, you're, you're a member of Congress, and you're telling me you couldn't get to Cuba to see your grandmother for a year because of COVID? I mean, <laughs> there have been a lot of people traveling back and forth to Puerto Rico since COVID came up, but you're not going to go see your grandmother, and it's Trump's fault. Um, she had a picture of the home where the ceiling was collapsing, but she blames Trump. Trump blocked relief for billions of dollars for Puerto Rico. People are being forced to flee their homes. Developers are taking them over. Ocasio-Cortez quickly amended, amended the tone of her comments, writing just a few minutes later that, well, never mind, my grandmother's doing okay. Without meaning to, Ocasio-Cortez, PJ Media writes, provided a perfect encapsulation of the modern American left with her Twitter rant, for all the problems are due to systemic issues. And look, Ocasio-Cortez makes $174,000 a year. Heaven forbid she take a little bit of her money. She makes $174,000 and drives a Tesla. And she can't send grandma a couple of hundred bucks a week? <laughs> Ocasio-Cortez, uh, isn't there some scripture about those who don't take care of their own families or worse than an infidel? And Ocasio-Cortez is blaming Trump. But here's the thing. It wasn't Trump's fault that the people of Puerto Rico didn't get the money. He got the money down there. Cheryl Atkinson reported on this six months ago. And interestingly, it was a number of Democrats who were in Puerto Rico. In fact, it was some Democrats that worked for FEMA under the Obama administration who were uh, having their palms greased with the uh, federal money that was supposed to go to the people of Puerto Rico. So, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you might want to get your story straight. Hey, thanks for being with us. Congratulations again to our political trivia winner, Alan Watkins. And tomorrow we'll be doing the program live from the North Carolina State Republican Party Convention. We'll see you on the air. Maybe we'll see you there at the convention. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.